All right. So everyone's got the handout, I hope. And flip open to chapter 12. Can I have someone just read through the um, first three verses there for us? Out loud. Got it. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Thank you, Tyler. All right, first question we should ask ourselves, that first word there, what's that first word? Chapter 12, verse 1. Okay, so the question you always ask when you see it, right? What is the therefore there for, right? That's what they've trained us to think, right? So what is it there for? I know we're not, we haven't gone through any review, but look up a little bit. And uh, from memory, if you got that too, what would this therefore be there? Therefore. It's connected to the end of chapter 11. And what happened at the end of chapter 11? Talking about the mind of the war. Mm-hmm. Right? Reading through those verses there. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. <laughs> How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? And then that wonderful verse 36 for... For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And it even backs up, you know, a little further. But uh, as Paul was going through his letter, as we see it in chapter 11, it wasn't chapter 11 when he wrote it. He just wrote it all as one letter, right? But he had reminded him earlier to um, stay humble, right? Because he's writing this letter to the Gentile church in Rome. We always remind ourselves of that. Um, mostly Gentiles, right? Probably in the 99%. Um, and he's, he had reminded them to stay humble, to not think of themselves too highly. And again, as we read through verses 33 through 36 in chapter 11, um, it's a reminder for all people that we just don't know the mind of God and we can't read his mind. And uh, to question it is sin. So in the essence of that, in the essence of the end of verse uh, or chapter 11, as we see chapter 11, he starts, therefore, and he says, I urge you, right? therefore, because of all that, for those reasons, from what we have taught and learned and gone through, for those reasons, I urge you. So Paul, this is where Paul engages you. So as he says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service or worship. So who is the you when he says, I urge you? Who's that? The brethren. <laughs> the family. <clears throat> 
The brethren, only believers, what Bowman said. He's not talking to unbelievers. Okay, and what what is he saying here? What does he want you, when he says you, to do? As he's addressing, obviously, the church in Rome, but this applies directly to us, right? So what is he urging you to do? And our prize holy. Right? Okay, good. Present your bodies as holy. Give yourself to God. Okay, so he's talking to the, the you, the believer, and what? He's telling you what to do. Where? Where are we supposed to do this? What's what? What's what? Yeah, well, what, what's what? what? <laughs> <laughs> Who's on first? <laughs> if you can answer the question, you might be right. <laughs> Present. We're doing the who, what, where, why, and how through this, right? Yeah. So where are we supposed to do this? Okay. Okay, good. While you're living. So as he's talking to the church, as he's writing this to the church, he's talking to them as they're living their daily lives in Rome. And as we're reading it for ourselves, yeah, it's in our everyday life, right? Is it just on certain days of the week? Would you think it was Wednesday night and Sunday mornings? No. Is that the appropriate time? Or place, I guess. Is it while we're just in this building or in each other's homes? We're seven. Okay, good. And how do we answer the why? Why is Paul saying this? In verse one there. God's mercy. Think of all the mercies that God has provided us. It's a service in response to the compassions of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. You see that, the last part of the verse there? In the context that he shifted over his attention from Israel uh-huh. to the Israelites to the Gentiles. Mercy upon mercy. Good. Did you guys hear that? He, he, Paul's shifting the attention um, from Israel um, and upon the, the Gentiles. It is their service to God of worship, right? Um, this is how those believers are supposed to live. That's how we're supposed to live. I see the how is through God's mercy, right? That's, that's the only way we're able to do this. Uh, there's no other way. There's absolutely 0% no other way that you could live a life as a living and holy sacrifice that's acceptable to God. It's hard to even think of us living a way that's acceptable to God, right? If you think of your daily life um, and the conduct that you go through every single day and even the little sin that we fall uh, victim to, it's hard to see that it's acceptable. So how is it acceptable? Through God's mercy only, right? So Paul's saying that right here. Um, 
So think about the living sacrifice versus a dead sacrifice. What's the difference in, in those two things? Okay. And they, they used, they did sacrifices on the sacrificial system before. They had to kill animals, right? But they had to keep doing it. It was never a permanent sacrifice that was once for all, was it? But we have that sacrifice, right? Have that sacrifice through Christ, who did die on the cross. So again, what's the difference between the living and the dead sacrifice? Think through it some more. As Paul's urging the church here, urging you as the brethren, by the mercies of God, we're presenting our bodies a living and holy, and holy sacrifice. The difference between the law and the old covenant and the new covenant. Christ is in us. We live each day. As a sacrifice. And do we need to die to pay for our sins? No. And why is that? Because Christ died for us. Okay. We do, but since he died for us, it's not. We carry our own cross. Self-sacrificial. Okay. Okay. So as we live, we're not dying to pay for the the sins we've committed because Christ already did that. Flip over to Romans 6. Let's have someone read verses 8 through 14 for us out loud. Remind us of what Paul taught just a little, not that long ago. It was a long time ago in this class, but not a long time ago in the letter. 8 through 14. Yeah, 8 through 14, please. Got it. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let your sin reign in your mortal body, so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Great. So like Andy was saying, we're not under the law, we're under grace. But Christ died this death and defeated death for us. And if we are now the brethren in Christ, right? we don't have that, that fear of death that um, the world has that we had before we were saved. Um, we can live that life that we have now sacrificially. Again, we can. This is a, a choose-to type of deal. Um, and Paul here is urging the brethren to do so uh, through God's mercies because of what God has done. Um, back in 6, you know, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God and Christ Jesus. But then he gives us several commands. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body. 
So that presenting, um, he used that here back in chapter 6, and now we're seeing that again in chapter 12. So um, this is the part where we engage, right? And we're uh, part of the way that, that we live and we represent Christ. Jeremy, do you want to say something? Well, yeah, it's reminding me of um, another passage. Because like we learn in Romans, the way that Christ's life gets applied to us is by the Spirit. The Spirit who raised Christ from the dead gives life to our bodies. And in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul contrasts the life that we live in the Spirit versus that old system. Mm. And he says, we are not adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face... How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? Ah, good. Sweet passage. Good, yeah. And who did Christ send for us when he ascended to heaven? Who came as the helper? Oh, right? The Holy Spirit. So again, back in, in chapter 6 in that verse 14. Right? For sin shall not be master over you, for you not under the law, but under grace. We're under grace. We don't have to do this because we have to. We do this because we can, because we have the ability, because we're freed from the grasp of death and sin. That um, is the only way we can live before we are in Christ. Okay? That was 2 Corinthians 3, starting at verse 5. Good, good. Well, then ask... Why does Paul say this is your spiritual service of worship? Why does he say it's your physical service of worship here? Have you thought, thought about that before? Well, it seems like God is not pleased with like what we can do in our flesh or what we can do by the Holy Spirit within us. And I kind of was thinking about like what Jesus said about we must worship God in spirit and truth. Okay, so you're saying as a believer, what you the good you do is not any good to God. Um, it is, well, yeah. As a believer, it is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But like, as like someone that's just in their flesh alone, not the Holy Spirit. Sure. But you are a believer, and He's addressing this to you, right? But which verse is it? Verse one. Your spiritual service of worship. Why doesn't He say this is your physical service of worship? So yes, according to the world, yeah, absolutely. You're right, Joseph. Any thoughts on that? Because God sees the heart. And we can, we can do service on the outside mm -hmm. that is not in line with our hearts. Okay. Yeah. We, we, can, we can show a good face to people on the outside mm -hmm doing what we think is right in God's eyes because we think it's right in God's eyes or for whatever other motive. Mm -hmm. And yet if our heart is not there, it's God sees the heart, right? God yeah, sees the motives. Yeah, absolutely. So, so God is calling us to live sacrificially, not just out here, but inside in here. Okay. Hebrews 9 for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer 
sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? There's a, an element of, on the other side of the sacrificial system now, mm -hmm. we've been cleansed in our conscience. Mm -hmm. And because of Christ's sacrifice offered through the eternal spirit, we can also offer sacrifices through the eternal spirit. Okay. Okay. As we're unified with him. Yeah. Okay. Good. Joseph, were you going to say something? Um, yeah, I was kind of thinking about, like, even as believers, we can, we can serve um, in ways that are not like eternal fruit, like, you know, helping some cross the street or something like that. Or we can also have, like, spiritual service where it has eternal, you know, consequences. Okay. If that makes sense. Well, some, so, do you think there's eternal riches in helping someone across the street as a believer? Yeah. Right? That's true. Okay. So what are the promises of God? Is it that we'll be uh, rich and abundant here in this life now? <laughs> That's what Joel Osteen says. Right. <laughs> yeah. when, when is it that we'll be rich and abundant in all things? I mean, where, where does that come? It's here and now, but it's also in the spiritual sense, right? That we are content as believers and um, God's mercy upon us. But what we who we will be and where we will be eternally for Christ, with Christ forever, right? There's, there's a blessing in you to be here with our brothers and sisters here. Yeah. There, there absolutely is. Right. But ultimately, it's, it's one more with Christ. Yeah. Tyler, you got something? Uh, I've been thinking about what Jesus said in John 12, starting um, 24. He said, truly, truly, I said, even less a grain of wheat falls in to the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it. To eternal life, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So just like you've been talking about, it's kind of a contrast between the, the old sacrificial system where you just go out in the, the field and you take the land, you take it down to the temple and you sacrifice it. Um, whereas... Sometimes we might wish it was that easy, but we've been mentioning it's a heart issue, so right. it's not a, a physical sacrifice, it's a spiritual sacrifice right. that um, is predicated on Christ's sacrifice and the power of the Holy Spirit, but we must first die for ourselves. Yeah, the, the act of it coming from inside, from our spirit, you know, turns into physical worship, right? But if it's if it's not coming from the spirit that Christ has given us inside, then uh, it's dead right there, right? If it's a physical act to please man, um, to do something outwardly that's not done inwardly, um, that's not going to please God at all. So, yeah, he is definitely looking um, at us as spiritual. And it's our, it's our duty, you know. Um, well, it's our spiritual service of worship. So Paul's, again, urging you, urging the brethren here, by God's mercy, to present your body living and holy, acceptable to God. And then he goes on, he says, uh, verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, and which that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So do not be conformed to this world. What does that mean? What do we... What are we thinking Paul's trying to tell the church of Rome here? Looking like someone that's in the world that 
lives after the world lives. How would they do that back then? Orgies. Uh, normal. Drunkenness. Drunkenness, mm-hmm. carousing, indulgences. Mm-hmm. And how does that look now, today? Same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we haven't changed. No. <laughs> So why would uh, the believer be conformed to the world? Why is that even a thing that Paul's having to address here? Symbol of justice at peccator. Okay, so this body of flesh, what have we learned about it so far? If you guys can pull back to your memory and what we've talked through, well, Paul has talked through the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yeah, absolutely. Is it uh, one and done once we're saved that um, we can just do all things perfectly, physically, uh, and mentally in Christ from there on out? That's a dream, right? Yeah. If it was a one and done, he wouldn't say renewing. Okay. Yeah. Right? Die daily. Die daily? So if, if these Christians are conformed to this world, or if we're conforming to this world now, um, but we have a new spirit inside of us, we are born again, we are new, are we not hiding what's actually inside of our heart to the world because we're conforming to what, what they want? Because we want to fit in? Because we don't want to be ostracized and set apart? And told that we can't join them in whatever, A, B, C, D, E, right? Those kind of things. And how many feel left out in this room just from their families that aren't a part of a believing biblical church? And you're, you're pushed aside because you're not conforming to what they think you should conform to. It's, again, what Jim said, it's in our nature to want to conform because God has created us socially, right? We're, we're meant to be together with people and with other humans. Um, we don't like to be isolated. It's in our nature to want to be around others and with others, no matter how introverted you are. Um, I know I've heard stories lately of the introverts after COVID are sick of being home alone all the time and want to get out and see people and talk to people. They're just, they were too isolated. They thought it was great at first, but they don't want to be anymore. I think that um, in the context here, being conformed to the world is also a, a challenge because distinguishing between service to earn your salvation, which is what the common culture around here feels mm-hmm. and believes. Mm-hmm. That's, that was also something, there were people that were serving mm-hmm. then their various gods, and uh, it was dead works, right? So we want we to we be serving, but we also want to be serving God out of obedience and love, right? self sacrificial So it's, it can't just be to earn something, because that's, yeah. yeah. Though, though, as a byproduct, we do earn right. rewards, but. Right. Sorry. 
what does it look like to you in your daily life? How, what would be an example of how you could be conforming to the world and your conduct where you shouldn't be? Have you thought through that? Maybe like listening to a lot of like worldly music. <laughs> yeah, right. Sure. Yeah, that can be a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going, that thought kind of goes back to uh, depending <laughs> on what you mean by worldly music. But <clears throat> at the end of Romans 1, where there's a long list of sins, mm-hmm. and not only those who take part in them but give approval. Mm-hmm. And especially in the realm of movies and shows and things like that, there's just a lot of explicit sin out there that we can give approval of by not only watching, but enjoying, endorsing, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah, very good point. And there's a lot of uh, wiggle room in all of that. There's a lot of wisdom to be applied, but that's something we have to be aware of. Yeah. Conscience, yeah. <coughs> there's, there are definitely lines that can be crossed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, I'll keep that in mind, um, you know, personally, for yourself, as Paul's addressing the brethren here, it, it does, I mean, this isn't directly to us, but it does include us in the um, command here to not be conformed to this world. Absolutely. So then he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that's a big subject. Um but again, he's talking to the body of Christ here. Why can't the whole world be transformed and renew their mind? Why can't this apply to others throughout the rest of the world? They're, in, they're after the sin of Adam, I guess. They're fallen. They're fallen? Okay. So you're going back to Genesis and the root of sin, the fall. Yes, it's impossible to please God without faith. Impossible to please God without faith. Okay. So because of the fall, and we can't have faith of our own. So where does that put the state of uh, someone's mind? Paul's saying... Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Andy, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but what's this renewing of the mind? Well, when you were talking about being <coughs> my mind went to first John 3, um, because I think while a Christian can dabble in the world and be influenced by the world right. to some degree, I don't think we can ultimately be conformed to the world because that's not within our nature because we've been renewed. Um, this kind of goes along with the transformation. So 1 John 3, 8 and 9 says, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him. He cannot sin, because he is born of God. Now up to this point, John's already uh, verified that, yes, we sin. In fact, we say that we don't have sin, and we are liars. So we sin, but we are not practicing sin. We're not marked by sin. Right. Um, so ultimately, we're not conformed to the world. And this identifies the distinguishing factors as either being born of God or born of the devil. And so, unless you're born of God, you cannot be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Yeah, absolutely. And you're miserable when you're as a believer in 
God and being a redeemed person, you are miserable if you're pursuing that sin. Mm-hmm. There, there is no peace there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's constant. The warfare is going to happen inside of your heart regardless of whether you are obedient or not. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen if you're a redeemed person. And it's going to hurt if you're not fighting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that transformation just isn't possible on our own. We can't renew our own mind. We can't change our, our nature ourselves. I mean, it's got to be an act of God right. to do that to anyone and all of us in the church. And that's what it is, right? That's what we've been learning through Romans, that it's God doing it every step of the way for every single individual that, that believes. So being transformed by the renewing of your mind um, this verse can be easily taken uh, out of context and used in a worldly way to conform to the world, right? And taught in a way that it's just, hey, anyone can do this if you just change the way you think. And that's, that's pretty much how all the self-help stuff is based, right? Change how you think, look at the world differently, and you'll prosper, right? But... Is that what Paul's telling the world here? No, he's telling the church specifically that your mind was renewed and it is being renewed. And so see that as uh, the, the possibility where you can be transformed as you are being transformed in your mind, the way you think. Flip over to Titus 3.5 real quick. Somebody want to grab that? And then someone want to grab Ephesians 4? I got 3.5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Okay. What does that mean? (laughs) Good. Not there yet. Let me get there. God does it. Yeah, absolutely. But, and, and how does he do it? What is he doing? According to his what again? His mercy. Right? Here in Titus, he's bringing up his mercy again by the washing and regeneration. What does that mean? Regener- regeneration. Washing of regeneration. New life. Yeah, new life. And renewing by the Holy Spirit. So the renewing by the Holy Spirit, it's that act of God. Right? It's not us doing it, and it's not the world able to do it themselves. It's God Himself doing it for us through the Holy Spirit within our hearts, giving us a new new nature, new heart. Right? Okay, someone have Ephesians 4? Go ahead. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. 
But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Excellent. So, in Paul's writing, he keeps bringing up this renewing. Um, and he's, he's encouraging and urging all believers as he's writing to, to realize, hey, this is the part where we have to participate. Um, God has saved us and he has given us a new heart. Uh, but we can't go on conforming to the world and acting as we used to and thinking as we used to. And we have the ability not to, Right. Where before, we didn't have that ability. As much as anyone tries and as successful as people are throughout this world, how are the riches truly measured? You know, it's, it's zero in God's book if their heart and mind isn't renewed by Him. And their motives. Sure. Their motives are going to be still radically selfish and sinful. <laughs> are anyone's motives not that way who's not in Christ? I mean, every single person alive is has that selfish motive that are are sinful because it's not glorifying to God. Even for those who are in Christ, we can have those motives. We can slip back into that whole mm-hmm. danger, and all that will just account for wood, hay, and stubble. And you mean we're not perfect? <laughs> back in Romans three, was it verse nine, ten? Paul reminds us that uh, we're all. All in the same boat, right? There is not one, no, not one that calls on God. There's a, I'm reading a biography of Luther, and one of his most controversial statements then and now is basically, we are as sinful as the papists. He was fighting against Rome, mm-hmm. and that, he recognized that fight is in the heart. Yeah. So again, Paul's going over this in Romans, but he does it in a lot of his other letters. So take that and notice that because it's a reminder for us that we have to be aware of our old nature and the body that we're in and its desires and wanting to conform to the world and act in that selfish way that isn't glorifying to God. Um, But we have the spirit in him, so we don't have to do those things. How is Paul a prime example of being transformed? (laughs) That's not fair, man. (laughs) Why not? What was what was his thing before he became a Christian? What was he doing? He was practicing holiness. Yes. And was he just like kind of the bottom of the barrel of it? Or was he kind of mid-grade? Or was he like... He was the leader. He was was zealous in whacking Christians. He was zealous, right? Zealous. So he had a mind that was thinking beyond what most men at that time were thinking. And he was (laughs) executing life according to what he thought. And then boom, he was transformed, right? And his mind was made new. It was regenerated. But it's not like his mind stops completely and he doesn't use it anymore. It goes from going this direction in evil to doing a 180 and going this direction for God. 
And he's pointing that out to everyone he's writing to, right? Paul he's is, pointing it out to us. Paul is a, is a perfect example of God's sovereignty. Absolutely. Literally. Yes. Stepping into time and space. He, he is a perfect example. So he can say this, and we can understand that, hey, if he, if he has that ability to change because God changed his heart, and he sees the need to change our mind um, and how we think and act and participate in life, then it's very important. So Joseph brought this up already, but our natural state of mind says, this quote from, where does this come from? Hath God said... Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Has this been transformed and renewed in you? Are you still questioning God in that sense? Um, are members of your family that claim Christ, is it still, did God really say, da 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 da? <laughs> and what's the answer? If it's in here, yeah, he's, he said it, right? This is how we know what he said. So, as we're living life, as, as you go about day to day, and as I need to as well, um, just, just in this, these two verses, just consider that. Am I proceeding in life? Is that, am I going forward asking that question? Did God really say this? Or am I being transformed and renewed in my mind and living a holy living as a holy living sacrifice for him? You know, the things that I do, why? Why do I do them? Why do I go to work every day? Why do I get up and um, take care of my kids and want to spend time with my wife? Why do I do those things, right? Ask yourself those things as well as you just get up every day. And then if your job is monotonous and not fun and um, if what you do in life just seems dull and boring, who are you doing it for? I've been there. I've talked to these two guys for many, many hours about, you know, my job in the past and the things that I didn't care for. And as I've continued in my journey and grown um, in my understanding of God's word, uh, my dealings at work have changed. And the reason I'm there has changed. And um, my mind has been renewing in that. And it's become better for me personally. It's more enjoyable. It's more fun. And there's more purpose in going out and putting Pepsi on shelves every single day. Right? <laughs> it's pretty monotonous. Joseph takes part of it with us in the warehouse, right? Every single day. He gets on this riding walkie and he's going <laughs> through the warehouse and he picks hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases and puts them on pallets and he's got to wrap plastic around them and then he puts them on the dock where they get put on the trucks. And that's his day, all day long. Yeah. It's way more monotonous than my job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that can be not fun, right? Tyler's done it. He's been with us. And many people have. And it's just, there's, there's parts of that thing that can just be dull and boring. And there's no reason for it. Um, but the why changed in my life. And um, it's it's made it more enjoyable. And my position's a lot more fun than what he gets to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it is. I shouldn't complain. I shouldn't have those all oh, this and that kind of a deal, but I did. Um, and as again, as I'm as I'm growing through the transformation and my mind being renewed, um, my my enjoyment has changed. My purpose has changed. The people that I see and the way I see them has changed. And that matters 
all, it's all the difference. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't still be there if I had those same feelings five years ago when I started coming here. Um, all that has changed. So think through that in your own situations, right? Whether it's in high school or it's as you're about to retire from your job or as you're at home in retirement or if you're um, away from your family and all of them live out of state and you just don't get to see them very much. Um, think through what your purpose is and why you're feeling it might not be uh, enjoyable. Are you not content with what God had, where God has put you? Is your mind being conformed to the world? Or are you allowing God to transform you um, through the renewing of your mind? Okay, let's continue on here. The will of God proved. So the second half of verse 2 reads that, So you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What does that mean? Is it your duty to prove the will of God? What do you think? Word here is understood as test. Test, okay. Why is that? Because we have that right. We have to figure it out. Uh-huh. Everything in front of us, he doesn't give us direct revelation on what we do. I heard some people get that. <laughs> <laughs> No? Well, there are crazy words. <laughs> Has it worked for you? Okay. <laughs> like Ephesians 5.10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Right. So when you say it means testing, that's a good way to, to say it. What do you mean? How does that help us understand this passage? We have to go at things not, not believing that we know God's will is. Okay. Okay. So are you are you testing this for God, or are you testing it for the world, or are you testing it for you? That's my second question. Who are you proving this to? Figure it out for yourself. For yourself. It's easy to figure it out for other people. <laughs> so it's easier to see what someone else should be doing to fix their life than what it is. Okay. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think anyone else think that they're proving it or should be proving it to, to anyone but themselves? Anyone have any other thoughts on that? Well, the ESV says discern. Okay, good. Right. Discern. Discern. So how does that help us translate this? Because we have an infinite amount of self-deception sitting inside of us in our flesh. Yeah. yeah. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Okay. Well, yes, we have what seems like a bottomless amount inside of ourselves to self-deceive. So it's easy for us to say with our mouths when we're amongst brothers and sisters, well, I'm a Christian. Uh-huh. And yet... When we see the sin that so easily rises up with inside inside of us, we must be renewed. Like it says, we have to we have to be regenerated through the Spirit, renewed through the Spirit, in order to overcome that. It's a it's a battle, literally <laughs> right, okay. inside inside of your heart and your mind. So discerning that and 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 knowing that and 
being daily conformed is, you know, it, it requires discipline. It requires proactivity on your own part. Okay. You know, you can't, you can't just say one and done, right? Oh, yeah, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he was buried and get baptized. It's, it's a, that's, that's a part of that counting the cost of what faith is. It's not just it's not just a one one time thing. It requires work. Right? Yeah, it, re- it requires something work. Something I have a lack of. So. so when we're proving or testing or discerning what the will of God is, how do we know what that is as believers and as we go about our lives? I think a good place to start is you know. Like seeing if it goes against God's word. Like obviously, if it goes against them, it's like no, that wouldn't make sense. Okay, good. Yeah, there's very clear things that are in His word, right? There's some not clear things, like should I go work for Pepsi and pick product in the warehouse for the next two years? (laughs) That's not very clear and drawn out in the the Bible, is it? Right. I think it was Coke. So how do we discern these things? Counsel. Counsel? Okay. How do you get counsel? Two ways. Each other. What? Each other? So I should ask you and think of uh, my brother or sister as I'm trying to figure out life as a Christian? My help. My help? Right. (laughs) Jeremy, you had two things? Well, yeah. I mean, counsel through one another. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Mm -hmm. That holds true. Um, but there's a reason why we pray about these things too. Mm-hmm. And even though we really get into the realm of the subjective, when it comes to having peace about something, if it's not something that goes against God, God's word, if it's not something that goes against the counsel of God's people and we have peace about it, I do think that that is a, uh, a genuine thing to consider. Yes. Because we have the Holy Spirit within us and he is not uh, inactive, he's active. Right, right. Did everyone catch that? Um, Jeremy's been very helpful for me in my life in making decisions because some of them aren't clear on what to do. And prayer has to be, right, the first place we go. And we have to lean fully on God and that communication with him, understanding that we might not get a voice from heaven saying, oh, go do this, right? We won't. Go work for Coke. Okay. We won't. Go work for Coke, right? Right? Some people might think they do, but where should we turn, right? We look through God's word. We read through here. Still, there's not going to be clear answers. We go to our friends. We go to um, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, We go to our pastors and our elders and those that um, have seeked God's counsel in a way that we might need help with. Um, Our our consciences are fashioned by the spirit and we're going to find out in a couple chapters that what cannot be done from faith is sin Mm -hmm. again this gets into the realm of the subjective but if we do not have a a peaceful feeling a faithful mindset however you want to phrase that about doing something don't do it right and i even hate to use the word feeling but we're so inadequate with our use of words but there is something the spirit is up to in giving us peace or binding us one way or another yeah, and, uh, the Spirit is in us, right? He is living and active in our hearts, and we are told to follow Him. And that's hard. 
And sometimes we're confused. And uh, the weaker our relationship with God is, the harder it is to see the clear lines, right? There's a lot of gray area. Well, just like Jeremy said, there's, there's not only God's word, which it, there is clear influences in this world that are clearly sinful. There's also a conscience aspect of that, too. Some people's consciences are more sensitive than others. Sure. Right. Yeah. And Paul, how many times does he address that in his letters? Multiple times, right? Usually with foods and clothing and stuff like that. Movies and music yeah. and all of it. Yeah. Yeah. We need to take that and apply it to our daily lives now. Absolutely. Our conscience is there. And our conscience has been transformed and renewed. It's been washed and regenerated. So that is a, a guide. And... Um, it's important. So yeah, that answers the last two questions there as well as we're just talking through it. Um, believers. Yes. Well, there's also categories or qualifications in the verse for us. We don't need to look for stuff that is good and acceptable. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Those qualify things that are pleasing to God. Those are the physical things that come out of our spiritual act of worship, right? So having faith in the decisions you make and being content in those and not going against your conscience on these decisions um, can reflect those as good and acceptable and perfect. And of course, the things that we should be doing when we're convicted of helping the old lady across the street, right? And, and doing things like that, that we, we see it. And the Spirit of God acts inside of us to do something for someone. Um, and if we don't act upon that because we're too shy or we hold off, um, that's probably going against the will of God, where He's looking for those acts to be done in His name through believers. All right, well, verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. What does Paul mean, for through the grace given to me? What is he talking about? What grace? Has he received any grace? God's grace. We kind of already touched on it, right? Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He was the most zealous, persecuting Christians, coming after them, wanting to kill them. And um, just being the, the head of that whole sect there. God could have kept him blind. God could have kept him blind. God could have kept him an unbeliever, right? God could have done what he wanted to do without Paul if that was his will. But he poured his grace out upon Paul um, and obviously <laughs> used him uh, beyond any measure that we would think would be uh, feasible or, or reasonable in his ministry after that. Again, Paul has that ability to say this, that God's grace um, on him was beyond, way beyond anything that he could ever imagine would be um, reasonable. I mean, he didn't deserve any of that. So as he's saying this, again, thinking back to what we read through in chapter 11, um, he's really wanting to uh, encourage folks to be humble um, to the believers in Rome 
and as we need to be to be humble in our stance and in our position and where our hearts are in the moment. Um, but a question I had is, is it bad for Christians to realize their measure of faith and act upon it? Is Paul saying to just chill and not, not go above and beyond because you're going to look like uh, you're high and mighty? Is he saying that here? We're supposed to speak the truth in love. Charity. Sometimes you use truth as a two by four, so you gotta be careful not to do that. <laughs> so, well, I think, why is Paul putting this into this part of the letter right here? <coughs> we just finished through chapter 11, right? And into chapter 12, he's urging people to um, present themselves that holy living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is their spiritual service. Don't be conformed to this world, transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove the will of God. So as you're reading through this, it could be very, very tempting and easy for um, someone doing all these things to start puffing up their chest and be like, oh yeah, that's me, I, I got this. I'm doing really good right now. And that should never be the, the stance of a Christian, right? If anyone has that authority, I guess, to do it, it should be Paul, right? And he takes a humble stance. Or the Lord Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> was obedient to the point of death. Yeah. Yes, much more so than Paul, for sure. Paul was executed, right? Understand the church we are doing in faith, we receive it all. That's why you have to balance it with God's word, counsel, and prayer. You still have to do it. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Judging others is a problem the world has, right? And as Christians, we need to be very careful of that and um, know that every, every Christian has been allotted a measure of faith by God. And so the last question, how is God's grace shown in individual church members as a measure, measure of faith? God gives all, right? He, he gives everyone their own measure of faith in what uh, we're able to do as Christians, as a part of the body um, for each one of us in here. And as you feel engaged and encouraged um, to do things, maybe others aren't. Maybe others are doing more. Um, so we should um, be careful in how we judge the body as we get into the rest of 12 there. Um, you know, it talks a lot about uh, 
um, the body of Christ and how to act with one another. So, spiritual gifts play into that too. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. Because some spiritual gifts can make us think that we're high and mighty again, right? So we need to be humble with that. And one of the gifts is the gift of faith. Yeah, Steve. Galatians six five says, "If a man thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself." Mm-hmm. Then Romans 9, it says, uh, Therefore, O man, who art thou mm-hmm. that replies against God? Show the thing formed by him who mm-hmm. formed it. Uh, and uh, say, Why hast thou made me thus? Mm-hmm. So, those two scriptures combined, what it really means is we're nothing but a thing in it. <laughs> so, why should we think higher of ourselves when we're really nothing but a thing in an it? Yep. That's our old nature too, isn't it? Okay, well let's close up and uh, enjoy some fellowship together. I'll pray and uh, we we can do what's next. Lord, thank you again for this morning and this day and for your word, for your truth. Pray that you touch each of our hearts as we continue to worship in one heart and one voice this morning. That we can take that into the world and not be conformed by them, but be transformed in our mind by the renewing that you've given to us and be the light that shines among them in the darkness so that they see your glory, not ours, that glorifies your name uh, and that they can come to you in faith and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.